Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Amen. I am uh, I'm so excited to have Josh and Lakeisha and Langston with us today. We love them. Josh and uh, Keisha were very instrumental in helping us plant Awakening and uh, spent many, many hours literally working on their hands and knees. Uh, those of you that were with us at the beginning remember the scraping we did on the floor. And uh, we, we would all work full days, and then we would come in and scrape that floor and work until 10, 11 o'clock at night sometimes. And um, um, they were with us from the very beginning and uh, then got some opportunities and transitioned out of the state. Uh, but we love them. I, I've said this behind their back. I've said it in front of their face, and it's, it's a true statement. They are one of the sharpest young couples that I know. And I mean that. They're one of the sharpest young couples that I know. Um, they, Since they have left us, they've had some vast ministry experience and been able to do a lot of things. And uh, we just want you to know at home, we're so proud of you guys and just so grateful for all that, uh, that you're doing and that you have done. And uh, we're glad that you're family and we're glad that you're home. Uh, and so, Josh, come on. And uh, yeah. Love you, bro. You know what, Ryan? Why don't you stay right there? Or this Ryan. There are too many Ryans in this room. Far too many. God bless you guys. I'm so excited to be here. You know, will you throw up the picture of my, my kiddo and my wife here? I want to go back. I feel an invitation, so we're going to go into that. But that's my beautiful bride. That's my son, Langston. My wife is fine, y'all. She bad. And she chocolate. And I love her. I love the little nappy hairs on the back of her neck. I love her. She bad, y'all. And I'm so grateful for her. She just is, she's a true warrior. You know, I tell stories about her interceding early on in our marriage. And I remember her with the covers pulled over her head, praying, and those are some of the most precious memories. And, you know, so to see our journey as it unfolds, I know that she is the foundation. She is the pillar. She's the core of it all. And I'm grateful for her and grateful, to, grateful for her to be here with me and for my son, Langston. And Ellington, who's on the way, he'll be here in January. As the Lord would have it, Danica and Lakeisha are two days apart. Uh, they're really close friends. I, I don't know if they planned this. Chris, we might have got a fast one pulled on us. Say a prayer for us. Um, but, but I'm grateful to be here. And Ryan said some, some things that, that I believe that the Lord wants to minister through right now. You know, we were praying earlier. Uh, what was the song there? It was a Corey Asbury song. Um, Catch me up in your glory. Uh, he's talking about serving was the chorus. What's the, what's the chorus there? I'm dropping it. All is for your glory, but put me anywhere. I'll serve anywhere. And I feel like the Lord was highlighting that phrase to someone in the room. And if that's you, and it could be multiples, I want you to stand up. I want to share a quick story with you, and then I want to pray for you. Put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. I felt the Lord on that. You know, we left here in 2013, 
And I remember spending countless hours praying, countless hours serving, countless hours in this ministry under this covering. And so you guys are in a great place because the Lord has done some incredible things. It's not because I'm so great or Lakeisha's so great because we're not. (laughs) Spend five minutes with us. We are quirky and strange and it's all good. But I'm going to tell you something, that there's something here. There's a launch pad here, and you're in the right place. You know, we moved to Louisville back in 2010, 2011, um, after we had a dream. The Lord confirmed that we were supposed to be here after a dream. And in the two and a half years that we were here, I just kept feeling the Lord saying, I'm going to put you somewhere to serve. I'm going to use you in ways that are unimaginable. I just felt that even in, even in the mundaneness of work, of getting up, driving to E-Town, coming back, driving all over for my job, doing all of these different things, I just kept hearing the Lord highlight and say that I'm going to use you, that you are a critical part of the body. You're something that I want to pour my glory into. You're someone that I want to use in my house. And he just kept highlighting that to me. And then suddenly, there was a word that dropped in my spirit about going back to school, right? And I'm not going to weep here, because I just remember the tender moments of being here and serving and praying and and hearing the Lord and, and watching him do crazy things. And then he called us away. And you know what? I just kept watching him build things and build things. And then I got a call from Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. We want you to come aboard and serve. And then I got an invitation to be a pastor. We want you to serve. And then I got an invitation from Billy Humphrey at the House of Prayer. We want you to come lead this thing we're calling One Race. And so I want to just encourage you that as you're praying that, that as you're saying that to the Lord, that he hears you and he knows exactly where he wants to put you. He's not forgotten about you. He has not changed his mind concerning it. He is going to do exactly what he said he would do. He's never going to forsake his word. He's going to perform it concerning you. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Do not faint because you're going to reap. You're going to reap. You are his craftsmanship, his handyman work. He's not going to forsake you. He never will. That's not the kind of father that we serve. Continue pressing in. Continue getting on your face. Continue seeking. And you're going to find. He's going to bless you with his presence, and he's going to launch you. He's going to launch you. So, Father, right now, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that's in this room, we honor you. And we say that you're good. And we say, take over the service. We want you to speak that if you're not speaking, we can all go home. It's useless. It's, it's for not. We want you to speak, Lord. So do it right here. And Father, for each one of these that feel a call, a tugging, an inclination about serving and put me anywhere in this call to a posture of humility. I ask you, Lord, that you would put them anywhere, that you would cause them to to see your glory in ways that they've not seen it before, that you would catapult them into the thing that you have called them to. I'm asking you, God, to touch them right now. I ask that you would encourage them right there where they are, that you're not a father who forgets. You're not a father who changes his mind. You're not a father to tease. 
You're a father who makes a promise and makes good on those promises every time. So, Lord, I ask right now that you would encounter these, that you would show them, that you would launch them, that you would cause them to prosper in the very thing that you've called them to. Speak, Lord, in the ways that you've spoken to me. Speak, Lord, in the ways that you've caused us to go and soar and to do things that hadn't even entered into our hearts or minds. I ask you, Lord, to do that for them. Touch them right now in Jesus' name. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Second group of folks, marketplace folks. You know, my wife, we moved here for a job opportunity opportunity with my wife. And, uh, and then we moved to Dallas because a door opened up in Dallas. And you know what? I've just watched the Lord continue to elevate her continue to cause her to prosper in her job. She's in a favored position everywhere she goes. People are beating her door down, trying to get her to come work for them. Not even joking. I wish I could tell you the half of it. And we've just watched the Lord accelerate that gift Excel and use it, really. It's been, it's been a blessing to our family. And you know what? It's nothing but the Lord that does that. And so if you feel a call to the marketplace, I want you to stand up on your feet. And Lakeisha, come on down here. I want you to pray. If you have a call to the marketplace, stand up on your feet. I want to pray for you. Girl, you rocking that, that baby bump, I'm telling you. She'll find self. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we thank you that you are sovereign. Father, I call and I speak life over those that are standing right now, God, that feel the tug on their hearts for the marketplace, Lord Jesus, and the ministry that you have before them. Father, I thank you that you are giving them unmerited favor that they do not deserve. Lord, I thank you for open doors and opportunities that they could have never imagined in their own strength, Jesus. We lean and depend on you, Father, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for divine connections and networks, God, being divinely connected for them, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are going before them, Lord, and in this season, as they're waiting, and as this season, God, as that they're listening and leaning into you, Jesus, that you would draw near to them. God, that they would feel and experience your grace and your love like never before. Father, we put our trust in you knowing that you are the source, that it is not man that gives anything to us, that we look to you, Jesus, as the ultimate king of all, the center of it all, Jesus. You rule, you reign, you have all authority. So we trust in you, God, as we see those that are called to the marketplace, God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for open doors. We thank you for favor. We thank you for dreams, God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'd give them the boldness to walk forth in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lakeisha. You guys can be seated. You know, and I, I, I think we're, we're all good here, Ryan. Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be here. It really is. I just feel humbled. Just, uh, I can't even describe to you the, the sensation in my heart right now. You know, I sense the Lord here, so Ryan, just stay close. I don't know what the Lord wants to do. But I feel an invitation to, to kind of speak prophetically today. 
You know, I don't think that it's an accident that I'm here in the southernmost city, southern northernmost city, and the northernmost southern city, if I'm saying that correctly. You just think about that for a moment and decide. Um, but to talk about the message of reconciliation in race here right now, I think is not a, a small consequence. I don't think that it's a small thing. I believe that the Lord is wanting a movement to break out all over the, the United States that the church leads in. I don't think that he wants to use some secular, godless organization to bring about the kind of sustainable change that needs to happen in the church. I don't believe that we are those, I don't believe that we're so far gone that, that, that he's going to use some other institution to cause the change that needs to happen in the states right now. I don't believe that. I believe that there's a divine invitation for the church to lean in, to lean in that the kingdom of heaven would come and be released on earth. You know, heaven is going to be filled with a diverse expression. Yeah. So if you don't like color, heaven ain't for you. <laughs> and you know what? If I, I'm not even going to tell you that. I'm not, I'm not going to be bad just yet. I'm going to keep it righteous for the next five minutes. And then I'm going to act up. But I'm going to tell you, if you're uncomfortable with that, the situation is going to be bad in heaven. Because Revelation 7, when John was caught up and saw the throne room, it was every tribe, tongue, and language represented there. Amen. So if people speaking a foreign language makes you uncomfortable, bye-bye. If it makes you uncomfortable that people look different, act different, have a different culture than you, then you might find a different situation for eternity. You try that and let me know how that goes. I'm going to tell you, that we have to lean in to what the Lord is saying to the church. I believe that we're going to enter into a season where he's going to release the kingdom of heaven in such a way that it's not even entered into our hearts or minds even what to think about it. But we have to be ready. We have to be a vessel that's ready. Church, we have to get our stuff in order that the Lord could pour out the very thing that he desires in this time. And I'm going to tell you that we historically have not been ready for that. He, we've not been ready for that. But it's okay. I'm going to help us just a little bit today. I'm going to help us a little bit today. One race. So the Lord spoke to Billy Humphrey, right? Gave him a prophetic word on his birthday, by the way. Yeah, that there was going to be a plane crash into Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain is, a, is the high place in Atlanta. It's got some dark history. Let me give it to you. In 1915, the Ku Klux Klan went to the top of Stone Mountain and burned a cross for the very first time publicly, reigniting the Klan because it had been dis, dismembered since the, um, the uh, industrial period. It had been dismembered. And so they reignited the Klan, giving it more wind than it ever had before right there in the heart of Atlanta. And this was led by a Methodist Episcopal minister who led a group of thugs to the top of Stone Mountain and burned that cross there. And hate reigned from that very place for decades. You guys remember Dr. King, I Have a Dream speech, let freedom ring from the top of Stone Mountain of Georgia. Why do you think that is? He's aware of what's happening at the top of Stone Mountain. He's not ignorant of that fact. 
I think he's speaking prophetically. So anyway, back to the Billy Humphrey story. The Lord said that there would be a plane crash into Stone Mountain. He had a dream about it. And then it actually happened. There was a plane crash into Stone Mountain. And the guy who actually, it was a year, seven years to the date that he got the word that this happened. You can go on our website, oneracemovement.com, and watch the video. The story is all there. And then the, one of the firefighters actually came to one of our meetings and told us that he was on the rescue mission when they went to, to put out the fire from that plane crash. And then Sean Bowles got a word about a plane crashing into Stone Mountain. And it reminded Billy of what the Lord had said. And suddenly, one race is reignited. One race is born. It's born out of this idea that the prayer movement and the missions movement is going to crash into the spirit of racism that's been allowed to reign from the high place for many, many years, and we're going to see that spirit brought low, and we're going to watch a shift happen here in America, and then we're going to see the greatest revival that we've ever seen. It's wild. The whole story, it's a six-minute video. You should check it out sometime. But it's necessary. And so one is what we've been doing is we've been fighting to bring churches together. You know, we're in the city of the South, Atlanta, Georgia. And so racism and hate has just divided the church. I could tell you stories all about it, and I plan to tell you a few. But we've been fighting to bring pastors together and pastor groups all over the city. We started 17 of them, had more than 200 pastors connected to those groups. And they got together to pray into the spirit of racism being brought down and a spirit of revival being released in the southeast. Because, you know, the only thing that's going to overcome racism, y'all, is when we get together and we pray, number one. Because the thing that we're encountering in the natural, the thing that we're watching in the natural is actually a spirit. It's a principality. We don't do war against flesh and blood. It's a principality in an unseen place. And we've got to begin to recognize that so that we don't get on social media and begin to curse and blast people because it's not the spirit. It's not the person. It's the spirit that's affecting the person. So when we watch all of these things happen, we're watching a manifestation of a principality that needs to come down. It should be a constant reminder that that spirit is not broken and we've got to continue to wage war on it until we watch it shift. The second way that we do this is by, the second way that we come, uh, excuse me, the second way that we combat racism is through authentic relationship. We call people together. Fear often separates us, right? I don't like that guy. He's got that big old beard up there. He looks like a hooligan. It's fear. I don't like that lady because she doesn't speak like I think she should speak. I don't like that person because they've got that accent. That reminds me of something, right? But when we come together, it's hard to hate you up close and personally. It's hard for me to dislike you and to, and to defame you into whatever it is that you're doing when I'm up close and personal with you. So we've been calling pastors to get to know one another. They have to lead the charge. It can't be this conversation from the pulpit without real action in our lives. If I'm not putting my feet under your table, getting to know you in meaningful ways, guess what? This is, we're posturing. We're not doing the real thing. 
And the only way we're going to overcome it is when we get real with one another. We get up close and personal with one another. That matters. The third way that we've been building these pastor groups and what we've been building them around are uh, real conversations. We're going to talk about the hard stuff. We have to talk about the hard stuff. We've got to talk about kneeling in the NFL and police brutality. We've got to talk about DACA students. We've got to talk about refugees. We've got to talk about these things that are racially divisive in our culture. We can't ignore them. When we live in our silos and we sit at home and we scream at the TV, Fox News, CNN, we're doing nothing. But when we get in a room together and we start having real conversations, oh, guess what? You find out what I really think, and, oh, it's not, it's not what I thought it was, or, oh, it is what I thought it was, and we can have a further conversation about that, of why you feel that way, why you perceive things this way, how did we come to this conclusion? And then finally, we're committed to moving forward in works of justice, meaning that we want to right the wrongs of the past. One of the things that we often forget, we emphasize a lot of the righteousness of God, but we forget about the justice of God. And both of those things, the throne of God out of Psalm 89 is founded upon. It's founded upon the righteousness of God, and it's founded upon the justice of God, and we have to be concerned with both of those things. And so we've been calling the city, we've been calling pastors to that very end. We've put on 35 prayer meetings, gathered about 10,000 people all across Atlanta for regional prayer gatherings over the last year to cry out for reconciliation and revival. And the Lord responded on August 25th. We stood together with about 25,000 believers, 500 pastors, and 3,000 millennials. We saw the Lord pour out and answer us. He responded. It's one of the most powerful things that I've ever witnessed in my life. One of the most powerful times that I've ever been in. Because we're standing in a place that's historically divisive. We're standing in a place where hate has been allowed to reign. We're standing in a place that represents the pain of America. And we're standing together, red, yellow, black, and white, crying out for the Father to break the spirit of racism, to break the back of it, that we could see reconciliation in our time. One of the most precious things I've ever seen. We were standing there across. The, it wasn't just a charismatic group, y'all. There was an Anglo. There, there were many Anglican pastors and Presbyterian leaders and all of the different denominations represented there. You know why? Because reconciliation is a biblical idea. We're supposed to be one body. And I believe that the Lord is wanting that to come together in this time. And so I want to preach to that very end. But before we do that, I want to play a video that highlights what took place at Stone, Stone Mountain.
just a quick highlight reel there, and just to give you a little follow-up, how the day went at Stone Mountain. We started at the high place with repentance and prayer. One of the, uh, the grandsons of the founder of the clan stood and repented to, two, to a couple, or actually two people, from the Mother Emanuel massacre there that took place in Charleston, North Carolina. He repented to them for the evils of racism that had taken place against their families. And then we moved on and we repented to Jewish folks for the evils that Christianity has propagated against them. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, we've done some bad things to our Jewish brethren. And you know, the storyline of the clan being reignited actually ties to a Jewish man, and I don't have time to unpack that, but there was a, a Jewish man that was lynched prior to the KKK being founded in Atlanta, Georgia. And so we unfolded that story during that time. And then we progressed to the table of brotherhood, where our good friends Will, Will Ford and Matt Lockett joined us. You know, Dr. King talked about on the Red Hills of Georgia that we would sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Well, it was the week of the 55th anniversary of the Dr. King, I Have a Dream speech, and we had Will and Matt, the son of a former slave and the son of a former slave owner, sitting down together at the table of brotherhood. It was an incredibly prophetic moment. And then you saw just a little bit about the pastors washing the feet uh, of each other. That's Dennis Rouse and Lee Jenkins, and they are foremost speakers and pastors in our city. Um, And then we concluded with John Perkins, who marched with Dr. King and is the father of the theology on racial reconciliation who joined us there at Stone Mountain. It was an incredible time. So if you get an opportunity, go check it out. We've got it on our Facebook page. You can stream it there, and I think you'll be blessed by it. Uh, I want to get into a, a talk today on reconciliation. I'm calling my message The Implications of the Gospel. Um, but before we do that, let me tell you this story. I feel like I've said a lot here, but we're going to go into it anyway. I think this story tells the story of race in America. Um, This summer, I called myself saving money, right? Called myself saving a lot of money. And so I canceled my lawn service and decided that I would take care of it myself. Stupid idea. Let's just tell you from the offset. So I was treating it with chemicals. The grass turned green. I was outside, shirtless, strutting my stuff. Thought I was just the man. We did this for month after month, and it was just green and beautiful. And then suddenly, I was out of chemical. So me and Langston scurried off to the store, got the chemical, came back, sprayed the lawn. Two weeks later, the lawn is neon yellow. And I was thinking, maybe I put a little too much chemical on it. My wife is looking at me like, what have you done to my lawn? What's going on here? What's happening? I said, oh, baby, it'll be fine. Well, another week went by, and it got brighter yellow. And then another week went by, and it turned brown. It turned brown. And so I invited one of the brothers from True Green Lawn to come over and check out my lawn. And he said, dude, you're an idiot. And he said, give me the chemical that you, that, you, that you put on your lawn. And lo and behold, it was weed and grass killer. And I'd completely killed my lawn. And all of my neighbors thought I was the biggest idiot. My wife thought I was, and thus it was. But I think that there's a truth out of that story that we could grab a hold of as it relates to race in America. I think that racism, slavery, the ties to racism in America, 
It's kind of like that chemical that I sprayed on my grass that killed my lawn. It was a progression, right? 1619, slaves were brought over here to America, and the story begins. And we've watched for the last 400 years of this story going from 250 years of slavery to 100 years of, of separate but equal and Jim Crow and all of these different things. And we now live in the post-civil rights era, which has been for the last 50 years. It's kind of like my lawn. We've done some things that have damaged the race relation between people groups here in America, and we're sitting on the sidelines wondering why the grass is brown. Well, it's, a, it's an obvious conclusion here that we've done some things that have damaged how we see one another, how we relate across cultural lines, how we relate across racial lines, and, and then we, we, we wonder why we see some of the rhetoric we see on TV. Well, it's because we've done these things, and there's still the remnant, the residuals of, of the effect of those things. It's not done away with. It's not in our past. If we think about it from a percentage standpoint, 400 years, if we've lived in the post-civil rights era, right, and that has all of its issues, for the last 50 years, that's about 12% of the total history that people of color have been in this country. 88% of our history is bad. I would have been your slave. I would have been separate and inferior. I would have been all of those different things. I would, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be sitting in a room like this one today because of our past. 88% of our past is bad. 12% has been okay. It's been changing. It's been evolving. But we sit and we stare at the grass and we wonder why is it brown? We've done this to ourselves. And we've got to consider We've got to think about how we move this conversation forward so that we can see the grass be revitalized, so that we can see relationships revitalized and restored. We can't sit on the sidelines and continue to scratch our head and wonder. We've done this to ourselves. We can't retreat and say, this doesn't affect me. I never owned slaves or I'm colorblind. That doesn't work. We did this to ourselves, and we can't look to government to fix it. We've got to look to the kingdom to fix it. That's the only means of reforming the heart. That's the only means of reforming minds. It's the only means of reforming the face of America. It's the only means by which we're going to heal the racial divide. Racial unity will not come about without the church pressing in and leading the charge on it. It's not going to happen. I spent a lot of money to restore my lawn, a lot of money, a lot of money to restore it. Yeah, Lakeisha's nodding back there. She's still pretty upset about it. Y'all pray for our marriage. Yeah, spent a lot of money and a lot of time and did a lot of nurturing it back to life to see it restored. We're going to have to do the same. People always ask the question, well, there's been a black president. Isn't this a thing of the past? Well, we've got all of these HBCUs. Isn't this a thing of the past? It's not a thing of the past. You've got to pull your head out of the sand and realize that we've got more bad history behind us than we do good history that we live in presently. There's more against us than there is for us. And we've got to fight to see the right outcome. And I believe that the Imago Day that exists on, on the face of every man and woman, every girl and boy, 
is worth that fight. It's worth the church signing up over and over and over again to see this restored. It's worth us having conversations. It's worth us spending the money. It's worth us spending the time. It's worth us investing into it. If we're ever going to see the kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven, we've got to fight for it. I want to highlight something to you out of John chapter 17. If you'll turn there with me, that'll be good. John chapter 17, verse 20. I just want to talk to you about what the desire of the Lord is, and then I want to take us through the issues that are before us unto the solution. John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. The desire of Jesus right here, the center of the gospel, the man himself, the means by which we get salvation is praying here in the garden just before he goes onto his dreadful fate, which is our redemption and our grace that we stand in presently, is praying for all generations of people. It reaches from the time there 2,000 years ago to this present day and 2,000 years beyond. His desire is that we would be one. Oneness is in the heart of Jesus. It's undeniable. He wants us to be one. You know why he wants us to be one? It's there in the scripture. It's a sign and a demonstration to a divided and broken world that our God loves us and that he's committed to us. It's a sign to the unbeliever that God is at work in the world. We talk about harvest, we need to get about oneness. We talk about revival, we need to get about oneness. We talk about greater revelations and realms of glory, we better be about oneness. We have to be about oneness. You've got to embrace your brown brother. You've got to embrace your white sister. You've got to embrace each other because when we pursue oneness, it's then that the world knows that it's the Lord who, or the, the Father who sent Jesus and that he loves us, and it might provoke them to believe. Oneness is in the heart of the Father. There isn't one place that I've gone to in the last year and a half that I've not heard a message on oneness, I've not heard a message on unity, or I've not heard a clear call, a clear prophetic voice that's calling the church to stand together in these times. We better hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church and get about it. We've got to be about it. Well, that sounds like a liberal agenda. That sounds like the left. That sounds like whatever. Am I going to have to vote differently? Are you saying we've got to change our worship tunes? Are you saying that we've got to do? No, I'm saying that you've got to embrace your brother. You've got to embrace your sister, and you've got to fight for oneness. Does that mean I've got to start whatever, whatever? No, it means that you've got to be about oneness. 
You've got to be about oneness. And I understand that this is a simplification of a very complex topic. Very complex. Not going to deny that. 400 years. There are systemic issues in our culture today. There are educational issues in our culture today. There are problems in our culture today that plague us presently. And I know that this seems like a simple application, but we have to fight for oneness. We've got to. It starts there. It starts there. When the church pursues oneness, guess what? We'll begin to speak about DACA students and them being used as bargaining chips. We'll begin to advocate for prison reform because that's an issue that affects uh, people of color here in this country. We'll begin to talk about the educational system because there is a great disparity depending on which side of the city you live on. And let me just help you out. Depending on which side of the city you live on oftentimes means that you're one color or another color or a different color or whatever that is, or a different class even. We've got to pursue that because when we do, we'll begin to speak authoritatively to the world around us. We've got to go after it. So the oneness that Jesus is talking about here, the word heis in the Greek, it means one another, a common union, a common unity, excuse me, an individual. It's speaking of us becoming singular in thought, singular in action, singular in mind. We've got to pursue that. We've got to forsake our rights and begin to see ourselves through the prism of the gospel. That's what the invitation is. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about him destroying the wall of hostility. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so by making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Through the cross of Jesus, he provides the means for us to be one. He provides the way. Back in the day when the temple was still standing, the Gentiles had a court and the Jews had a court, and the Gentiles weren't permitted into the Jewish court. It was actually punishable by death. So it was a wall of hostility. But when Jesus came, he abolished all of that. And he made provision for one new humanity to come up in the place where there once was two. I don't care what book of the Bible you read. You get an heir of the Gentile and the Jewish feud. And Jesus wanted to do away with that, that we could come together and be one. We've got to see it. We've got to hear it. We can't keep harping over the things that divide us and not majoring on the things that unite us. The church can't sit and languish much longer. We've got to begin to speak prophetically to the world and to the rest of the body of Christ that we can see change, y'all. We've got to. Well, they vote differently than we do. So? Well, they think different things than we do. You think some things that I don't like either. But we're still called to be one. We're still called to be one. 
Reconciliation can't happen if the two parties aren't willing to meet in the middle. You know, I always talk about black pain and white shame as being the obstacles. And I like to talk about things in black and white because that's the historical narrative here in America. And I understand that there are many different colors and people groups represented here in this room and outside these walls. So please don't hear me exclude that because there is brokenness everywhere, right? But these are the things that divide us. It's the pain of discrimination. It's the pain of racism. It's the pain of the historical past. But it's also the shame of, yeah, but I didn't own slaves. It's the shame of, yeah, I played a part in this. It's the shame of whatever the shame is in your life. It keeps us from embracing one another and pressing forward together as one. We've got to put those things aside. We've got to lay those things down at the cross, and we've got to forge a new path ahead that we could be one. And as I conclude here, I want to take us to, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's one of, becoming one of my favorite passages because it highlights the path forward from our, our good shepherd, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There are four things that he highlights here. One mind, one love, one in the Spirit, and one in purpose. We've got to fight for that. We've got to fight for one mind that we're going to love one another. We've got to fight for one love that it's the love of Christ that binds us together, and it's the love of Christ that's going to cause us to become one. We've got to know that the Holy Spirit is at work drawing us to himself and forging us together as one, causing that one new humanity to surface and that we've got one purpose, and that's to demonstrate our love and likeness to the world. Y'all, it's only then that we're going to see true oneness and true reconciliation take place. It's only when we get those four things together, one mind, one love, one in the spirit, and one in purpose. We can talk about everything that divides us, but what divides us doesn't, doesn't solve the problem. It's humbling yourself and not thinking of yourself so highly. It's not majoring on the minors. It's majoring on the love. It's majoring on the purpose. It's majoring on the very thing that Jesus is calling us to. We've got to get there. I know this is a sober message, and I know I keep calling us to oneness, but oneness is the only solution. It's the only path ahead. We've got to fight for it like no other. And I want to leave us with this thought. Where is it here? Pow, here it is. Reconciliation equals us uniting with Christ and intentionally uniting with each other and persevering to that very end. 
uniting with Christ, intentionally uniting with each other, and persevering in that work. That's the formula that we've kind of concluded with as far as reconciliation goes. We are to be united at the cross of Christ. We are supposed to fight for one another. And then we are supposed to persevere. We can't stop short of oneness. We can't. We can't stop short of oneness. We can't do high fives on Stone Mountain and not pursue our brother on the other side of it. We can't do these kumbaya moments and has not put our feet under each other's table. Me getting to know your children, you getting to know my children, us actually fighting and doing life together. We have to pursue that. We have to pursue that. I want you guys to stand up on your feet. Yeah, if you'll just give me some up here, whoever the, the, the psalmist is, the guitarist. I want to pray. Father, as Jesus prayed in the garden, I ask that you would make us one. I ask, Lord, that you would break down the wall that divides us here in the city, and you would cause us to be one. I ask, Father, that you would break down the walls of division, that you would break down the walls of hate, that you would break down the walls that keep us separated, and you'd cause us to be one. I ask, Father, that you would make us one. I ask, Father, that you would drive hate and racism out of our midst, that you would drive the darkness away, and that you would break in with your marvelous, marvelous light and cause us to be one. Yeah. Jesus, we ask that you would shine your face upon your church, yeah. Yeah. that she would lead in places that she has historically lagged, that she would speak prophetically to the world, yeah. truth to culture, yeah. Yeah. and that we would emerge as a people that's not like the world, yeah. that we would emerge as a people that's nothing like the world or the society that we live in, that we would be seen through the prism of our oneness, which the gospel brings about. Jesus, you are our means to oneness. You made provision for it on Calvary. And you've called us to be one new humanity. You prayed the prayer, make us one. You've given us the example to consider others as greater than ourselves. I ask, Father, that we would hear what you're speaking in this time and that we would respond accordingly. Make us one. Father, in this city, we ask that you would break the spirit of racism, that as we've seen incidents like the one at Kroger, that you would break the spirit of racism. We ask that you would break the back of racism in this city right now in Jesus' name. We ask that you would break the stronghold that keeps us separated. Break it in the authority of Jesus' name. We ask that you would drive the dark cloud away. Drive it away in Jesus' name that we could be one. I pray right now for a release in the church, for a release in the body of Christ of the message of oneness 
the message of a new humanity, the message that there's more that unites us than divides us, and it's you, Jesus. You're at the center of it all. And so we ask you right now to invade your church. Come on, why don't you press in just a little bit about that? Invade your church. Invade your church in areas where we have shame and we have lagged and we have not responded accordingly. I ask, Lord, that you would lead us strongly. You would lead us fiercely. That in areas where we feel ill-equipped and incompetent and unable, God, I ask that you would lead us. You are the way maker. You are the one who provides the solution. And we're asking you to do it here. We know that we can labor, but we'll labor in vain if you don't do it. So, Father, I ask that black pastors, white pastors, Hispanic pastors, Asian pastors, whatever pastor, whatever color, that denominational walls would no longer divide us, that color lines would no longer divide us. Draw us together. Draw us together that Baptist brothers and Presbyterian brothers and Anglican brothers and charismatic brothers and Catholic brothers and whomever brothers in the body of Christ would be able to sit down together and be one. Be the body that you desire, supporting one another in love. God, I ask that you would release that in Jesus' name. I ask that you would release that in Jesus' name. And Father, I ask right now that this church would be mantled with the mission of reconciliation, that it would be mantled with the message of reconciliation, with the mission of it, that it would grow more and more diverse, that it would feel more and more like heaven. I ask that you would saturate your church to adhere do it now that we'd look up five years from now and it would be different. We'd look up 10 years from now and it would be different. That this church would have a lasting impact in this city. And the testimony would be that it's a church that looks like heaven. It feels like heaven. Establish that work now in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to do it. I know this is your desire. Do it here. Do it now. In Jesus' name. We're going to lean into this just a little bit and pray just a little more. Um, one of the things I love about John 17 is this wild moment that Jesus has with the Father when he says, I want you to restore me to the glory that we shared face to face. It's it's really beyond my comprehension. He's talking about before time began, when before the earth was created. I want you to restore me to that glory. I've taught you that word glory, it means perspective or view. And so he says, I want you to restore me to the view that we shared together. And then he begins to talk about unity. 
he then begins to talk about that. So I want you to restore the idea of unity that you and I had, Father, before time began. So I want us to just lean into that for a moment and just pray, God, this was your design from the beginning. It was never to be divided. It was never to be separate. So God, we just call out to you right now and we're asking that you would give us your perspective on this situation. God, that you would begin to release the power of the Holy Spirit and the perspective that you share with the Father of what our cities should look like, of what our schools should look like. God, we come against the spirit of fear that drives racism right now in the name of Jesus. We will not entertain demons and fear is a spirit. We will not entertain those spirits. And we say that when we think through that lens, we do not have a sound mind because you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when we think through those places, of separation. We're not thinking clearly. We're, we're operating and entertaining fear. And so God, we just pray right now, God, that you would give us your perspective on this matter. God, that we would have the heart of heaven that we would not ever be driven by agendas, but we would have the heart of heaven. God, you have birthed this idea of one race in these hearts. God, you have birthed, this is your desire. This is what you and the Father talked about before time began, that there would be unity, that there would be oneness. And so God, we're just asking today that you would release the power of that right now in the name of Jesus. That you would release, that you would release the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that it was inspired by Holy Spirit. And he only says what he hears you and the Father talking about. That's what you said. You said in John 16 that he would only declare what he hears you and the Father talking about. So we know that it's on your heart today. So we join with that today. Come on, would you just lift your voice right now and begin to join with that? God, we just lift our voice today and we say unity is the answer. Unity in the body, not uniformity. We're not asking for uniformity. You're building us as living stones, not bricks, living stones where rough edges have to be knocked off and a stonemason has to place it correctly. God, we're saying we want to be that so that we build the spiritual house. That we build the spiritual house. God, I'm asking for synergy among races. I'm asking for synergy among the ages. I'm asking that this wouldn't be a young thing. This wouldn't be an old thing, but this would be a kingdom thing where there has been one race built. God, I'm asking right now that we would begin to transform culture to mirror the kingdom that we would begin to transform the culture to mirror the kingdom, that we would not attempt to look like the corrupt culture that's always changing, but we would be a voice and we would be a light into the midst of that thing to say, no, that is not the way of the kingdom, and we are releasing the dominion of the king over these situations. God, I repent. I repent on behalf of, of white ministers and, and white people who have been insensitive to the ideas of separation. There are so many things that I do not have to deal with or my children don't have to deal with because of the color of my skin and you never intended it to be separated. So God, I'm asking you right now to release unity and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking that you would remove the scales from the eyes where there's been separation because of color, because of age, because of class, one race, 
declaring the beauty and the majesty of the kingdom. And God, I pray that we wouldn't get caught up into cause Christianity, cause-based Christianity where we're always going after a cause, but we would be caught up in looking at the one whose eyes burn like fire and whose hair is white as wool and whose feet are like polished brass because when he walks into the situation, the byproduct is that everything begins to work out. Let our hearts burn for you, not for causes. Let our hearts burn for you. We love you today and we honor you. Come on, would you just join the hand of the person beside you? Just join the hand of the person beside you. We link arms today. We link arms today. We say yes to your call. Yes to this clarion call. To be united in the kingdom. God, and I just released the idea of the commonwealth of the kingdom. That there is commonwealth in the kingdom. Because the king has orchestrated. God, I pray that you would just begin. God, I just pray right now for Josh. God, I pray right now that you would just begin to release even a greater authority over Josh right now. God, that when he walks into realms of influence, when he walks into spheres of authority, it is evident that the power of the Holy Spirit is leading him. It's evident that the power of the Holy Spirit is going before him and has gone into his future to prepare him from the harm of the past. We declare that over him right now in the name of Jesus. And I just keep hearing the word governor. And I don't think it is in a political sense, but I believe it's in, in, in a spiritual sense that you would begin to release the strategy of the king as a governor in every place that you put your foot. That, that you would be the voice of the king, the voice of the kingdom in the realms that you walk in. I pray for a greater authority right now in the name of Jesus. Just release a greater authority over Josh right now that when he opens his mouth, these principalities begin to tremble. When he opens his mouth to pray, when he opens his mouth to declare the message of the kingdom, that principalities begin to tremble because of the power that's on him right now in the name of Jesus. And God, I just thank you that you're releasing a governor's spirit over Josh, that he would, he would begin to leverage the authority that you've given him in the place of prayer. Yeah, yeah, I, I just pray right now that, that, that he would become the governor and the broker the governor and the broker. He would begin to broker those things from heaven and leverage those things right now in the name of Jesus. And I say that he's building legacy, not just for him, but for his kids. God, I say right now in the name of Jesus that you're going to give Josh an even greater revelation of legacy that right now is good, but what is to come is greater than what he could ever imagine. God, that Langston and Ellington would begin to walk in paths of righteousness at an early age, that Josh and the have pioneered in the place of prayer. We declare that right now in the name of Jesus. Release legacy. Release the idea of legacy right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, that when Josh gets into his 50s and his 60s, that the message would be turned and he would say, we have a greater, we have a greater experience in our history than we've ever had before. That there's a greater experience that we've seen the Lord move in the last 30 to 40 years and change the landscape of racial division in this nation in Jesus name in Jesus name amen amen thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church you can find us online at awakeningky.com